the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. This is the Northern Alliance Radio Network, the longest-running conservative talk show in the Twin Cities. It's great to be back in Minnesota today. Political analysis of the good, the bad, and the outright crazy. <laughs> now, here's your headline act, Mitch Bird. Welcome back, Twin Cities and World. It's the wind beneath the right wing, the show that's making talk radio great again. My name, Mitch Berg, my handle, The Headliner, the headliner edition of the Northern Alliance Radio Network, which has just entered year 20, actually month two of year 20, of dominating all Twin Cities media and making it look easy. Oh, it's not. Make no mistake about it. This is not an easy throne to sit on here. But I and my colleagues, Brad Carlson, Sundays 1 to 3 here on AM 12A, The Patriot. Uh, Jack Tomzak, the new guy, 3 to 5 every Saturday here on AM 12A, The Patriot. And, of course, King Banyan, uh, every Saturday morning from 9 to 11 on our sister station, AM 1440, The Businessmen. Do it because if not us, who? If not where? Well, if not the 1280, where? You get what I'm getting at here. Thanks for stopping by on this gorgeous Saturday. It's uh, going to be a long, busy day. It's another one of those days where I wish I had five days of three hours a day on the air like, I don't know, some of the network people do. It, it just would be divine justice after this last couple of years, especially, especially after this week. Now, if this show has had one, I don't know, theme – I could probably think of three or four themes that the show has had over the last 20 years that sort of tied together uh, elements and themes of the broadcast over the course of this past couple of decades. But suspicion of – that's not even the right word – attempting to hold the Twin Cities media accountable is probably one of them. I mean, we cut our teeth here on the Narn uh, dinging on the late – Norm Coleman, not, not, not Corm, Nick Coleman. Norm Coleman is one of the good guys. Still is, uh, thank, thank merciful heavens. Nick Coleman, no longer with us. Uh, not because of anything we wished on him or anything like that. It's just you know, checked out too early. Uh, and that's a fact. But, uh, we, we, the Northern Alliance spent its first year or two probably fencing with Nick Coleman, former columnist for the Star Tribune and the Pioneer Press and, other papers along the way, no doubt. And it wasn't a fair fight. I mean, we clobbered him because he was, he had this habit of bringing rhetorical knives to rhetorical gunfights. And that's when you're up against the likes of, of Brian St. Paul Ward and Chad the Elder and John Hinderocker and Scott Johnson. That's really what it is. It's like bringing a jackknife to an artillery duel. At any rate, uh, and we've been doing this all along because if there's one thing, uh, one of many things that the Twin Cities needs, actually, in honesty, uh, all Minnesota needs, it's a media that actually does what the media is supposed to do, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Now, you talk to a Twin Cities journalist, most of them, there's a few exceptions, most of them will say, hey, that's what we do. And, and 
And to be perfectly honest, I believe most of them probably believe that. And, and I believe an awful lot of them make a sincere effort to try to play things down the middle as they see them. The problem is down the middle is relative depending on who you are, where you come from, the social circle that you uh, that you swim among if you will, the the educational background you come from, the 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 environment that hatched you intellectually speaking here. Uh, by another way of saying that is from San Francisco, Salt Lake City is way out east. Someone who is let's say on a scale of 1 to 10 with with 1 being Che Guevara and 10 Attila the Hun and moderate somewhere in the middle, uh, most Twin Cities news reporters probably come in somewhere around a four and thus think that someone who is a five or a six is pretty far out to the right from them. And someone who's a three, say an AOC, isn't all that far to the left, relatively speaking. I, myself, being, let's just say a hard seven, uh, it probably appear to be more like Attila the Hun to them than, say, people who are much closer to them on the left. And that's unavoidable. And a, and a good reporter, and there are some of them out there, will make allowances for that and, and um, keep that in mind as they do their reporting. And unfortunately, good reporters are few and far between in the Twin Cities these days. Nonetheless, uh that's been a theme for this broadcast is trying to make sure that there is another point of view being put out there in the Twin Cities media. Sometimes it feels like shouting into the void. That's okay. Someone has to do it. This past week, we had an interesting story. Interesting story came out this past week about, about the Twin Cities media. A, uh, a press conference was held last February, uh, February 9th to be exact. And in this news uh, press conference at the Minnesota State Capitol, a small, dare we say, wan-looking group of Capitol reporters gathered around uh, a press conference with a bunch of uh, bureaucrats to talk about some the details of some abstruse child care health care uh, child health care funding bill. And the uh, you can watch the video, and I will post the link at shotinthedark.info on Monday. By the way. Uh, because it's an important story uh, in more ways, I think, than is being talked about here. There's a couple of angles to this story I want to make sure we touch on here because this is the sort of stuff that, that all of us in the Narn, I think it's fair to say, got into the business to talk about. Uh, in watching the video, you can see a, a stage full of state bureaucrats talking about this bill and a voice from off stage, a male voice says, last question. And uh, a fella in the audience by the name of Peter Callahan, who's a reporter for MinPost, which is uh, a uh, basically a retirement home for Star Tribune and NPR reporters who get laid off. And it's a it's a news website that's supported, dare we say, floated by progressives. Well, maybe not progressives. That's the Minnesota reformer. It's it's floated by liberals and old school DFLers with deep pockets and it basically serves as a place for Star Tribune, NPR, Pioneer Press reporters to go when uh, they, they, the, the new, their former employer lays them off and they have to go someplace to earn a living because they cannot quite retire just yet. I don't think I'm being too unfair in saying this. You look at the roster of their reporters and you've got a long list of people 
who put in their years at the Star Tribune or or the Pioneer Press or uh, occasionally radio and TV stations, which is fine. I mean, everyone needs a job. I begrudge nobody a job. Believe me, I've uh, been there, done that. At any rate, someone off camera says, last question. And Peter Callahan speaks up, says, no, I think we're going to ask a few more questions here. And this is where it got interesting. Now, I, I'm going to go to the Minnesota Reformer, which, by the way, is another newspaper, uh, news organization, I should say, uh, sponsored by progressives in this case with deep pockets. I mean, these people have an, uh, an overt progressive agenda, which doesn't mean there isn't some decent reporting uh, coming from the Minnesota Reporter. But and And I will say this, they are, as a broad rule, honest about their motivations, about their biases, which, by the way, I think the entire American media would do well to do. The, the Min Post isn't nearly as open, by the way, about their motivations and their, their biases. Uh, I, I, but I, I support this because this is the way European media does it, and it just makes a lot more sense rather than maintaining this fiction of being objective. European newspapers are upfront about their biases. Anyway. Uh, what happened then was a, a DFL communications operative, a fellow named Matt Rosnowski, apparently uh, got in Mr. Callahan's face. I'll, I'll re- report the story here from, uh, from the MinPost. Uh, uh, the, the dispute between the MinPost and House leadership stems from an incident on uh, February 9th. This is from the Reformer, a piece by uh, Patrick Kulikan, uh, during a House uh, DFL news conference. After reporters were told they'd be allowed one more question, Callahan responded, no, we can take several more questions. We're trying to understand this bill. You know, reporters doing their job. That's a radical thought, something that DFLers apparently are not used to people doing. Oh, yes, we will come back to that. Uh, Walker recounts in his letter, by the way, this is another reporter, how after the news conference, House DFL spokesman Matt Rosnowski, quote, approached Mr. Callahan and in front of his colleagues from other news organizations, upbraided him for his comment and threatened to call his editor. Mr. Callahan perceived Mr. Rosnowski to be visibly angry and physically aggressive and responded with a profanity. House DFL responded by removing Callahan from its press release email list, which left him in the dark as to goings-on in the House. The move was later rescinded. On February 17th, the House DFL official and the House Director of Human Resources accused Callahan of discrimination and harassment based on his objection to the end of the press conference. Callahan's objection to ending the news conference, Walker writes, is both race and gender neutral. It was also perfectly acceptable, by the way, because... When the handler says one more question, that's aimed not at the reporters, but at the subject on the stage. I mean, reporters can keep asking questions all the way down the hall to the office until the subject gets into their car if they so desire. They don't know. They don't often do. It has to be quite the story for them to go to those links. But again, it's, it's, this is a direction aimed at the subjects, the, the interview subjects, the, the House bureaucrats in this case. Uh, House leadership then sent a letter to MinPost asserting Callahan's comment during the news conference raised, quote, serious concerns under the House policy on discrimination and harassment. Quote, House counsel, the House sergeant at arms and capital security were notified, the letter reads. 
Walker writes that the notification could be read as a threat. The sentence in your letter seems intended as a not-so-veiled threat to Mr. Callahan and other journalists who your staff perceive as, quote, out of line. One reasonable interpretation of your letter is that Mr. Callahan is now under surveillance and should watch his step. A message that is alarming due to its capacity to intimidate journalists and chill the exercise of their constitutional rights. Oh, this is a great story on so many levels. I've been dying all the last couple days to talk about this. So let's let's do exactly that. Let's take a quick break here. I'll come back with more on this. The Northern Alliance Radio Network, AM twelve eighty the Patriot. Go nowhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Twin Cities and World. It's the Northern Alliance Radio Network, AM 1280, The Patriot. Don't forget Salem News Channel, the place to go when you are tired of the mainstream media's BS, uh, of their slant, of their bias. Uh, Salem News Channel, just go to SalemNewsChannel.com. It's the place to go to get past problems like, well, the one I'm describing right now. Of course, we're talking about a uh, Minnesota DFL operative who has uh, who, who got in the face of a not just a news reporter. I mean, you could see this if it were like somebody like a Scott Johnson, someone who was a uh, a uh, overt conservative. We're talking Peter Callahan, someone who is to the left. And I say this with all, with all due respect to Mr. Callahan, but a fairly innocuous threat to the left. I mean, somebody flexing from the DFL flexing on Peter Callahan is pretty much the very definition of, of blue on blue. It's, it's like, be like Nakima Levy pounds, uh, riffing on black lives matter. Uh, and who knows, maybe she'll, she will someday, but that's, that's more or less what the, what we're talking about here. But, uh, let's, there's a couple different angles on this story that I think are interesting to look at and tell you a little bit about where the media and the DFL and this administration are, uh, as as we approach this point in history, the, the first of all, let's talk about the character involved here. And by character, I mean that with a small C and in big scary quotes. Matt Rosnowski. Now, I don't know Matt Rosnowski. For all I know, he's a lovely person, and I know that 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 these the, the party communications people are are not paid to necessarily be agreeable to the other side. Although I know quite a number of Republican communications people. And I don't know any of them ever who has racked up a, a, a record quite like, well, it's not just Matt Rosnowski. I mean, rat, not, rat, rat. Matt Rosnowski is someone who, if you've followed him on social media for any length of time, he's a pretty snotty, dismissive, ugly little person. And, and I could name you half a dozen Republican communications people who are in similar positions who, from my perspective, as someone who cares about civility, don't act like that. And and, and the reason I bring him up is not not that it well I mean personal responsibility matters but there's a pattern of behavior here. You go back to 2018, I believe it was. The DFL had a communications guy named William Davis who also had a very similar profile on Twitter. Very very snotty, very aggressive, very dismissive, very love to go for the cheap shot, and he. He got removed, officially removed from public-facing duties when he issued a series of tweets in which he essentially called for Republicans to be murdered, guillotined specifically. Uh, now, he said it was all in context. It was an inside joke. And 
I, point taken, except that Republicans don't get inside jokes. So uh, fair for the fair, fair for the geese, fair for the gander here. William Davis, who by the way has been popping up in public again. So uh, punishment from Ken Martin doesn't really mean a whole lot, and and it's nothing new. I mean, there's another uh, press twerp they have a fellow named uh, Brian Davis, uh, Brian, sorry Brian Evans, who uh, did an incredibly cowardly hatchet job of a Minnesota gun caucus uh, testimony, uh, event of testimony here where they left out some key context to make it sound like the gun owners caucus was saying something completely the opposite of what it was, something fairly depraved sounding uh, out of context. In context, it made perfect sense. Uh, Brian Evans, being a cowardly hack, would not let the context out there, which is part of my theory that the DFL knows they don't actually have to convince anyone on facts because their audience doesn't care about facts. They are not well-informed. They may have degrees. They may be well-educated in terms of years of schooling and credentials. They're not really so keen on the critical thinking side of things. And I think they know that. I think Brian Evans and and, and uh, William Davis know that. And I think they, they benefit from an immense amount of, of urban progressive privilege where you can basically get away with anything in the club because there's nothing, uh, there's no, no no lower phylum of biology than a Republican in the world of urban progressive privilege. And it's from that world that Matt Rosnowski, like most of your communications people, came. I know nothing about him. I would guess that he probably came from a poli-sci program like, uh, like McAllister, U of M, uh, poli-sci department, St. Thomas, something like that, someplace – where people on the left never wind up getting their beliefs or indeed their manners challenged by anyone for any reason because the ends justify the means, which fits in really well with today's DFL. But I just got to think, if we had a, a pattern of behavior where we had a Republican communications operative openly on Twitter, on social media, calling for the execution of Democrats – and we had a Republican operative dishonestly, flagrantly, hackily dishonestly editing uh, d- Democrat testimony. And a Republican operative threatening, not just threatening himself, uh, a, a reporter <laughs> and a friendly reporter at that, but trying to bring the, the House bureaucracy in. I mean, going to the House DF uh, to the DFL, uh, excuse me, the House Human Resources Office. I mean, I don't know if Mr. Mr. Rosnowski and the DFL leadership know, but Mr. Callahan doesn't work for the House DFL. I, I mean, with some reporters, it's a distinction without much difference. We can certainly joke about how closely linked the 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 media in the Capitol and the DFL's interests are. But it doesn't quite go to the point of having the same employment, uh, employer-employee relationship. So I'm not exactly sure where that comes from. I'm sure someone can explain it to me. But I have a hunch if you had threats of murder, complete dishonest hackery on the taxpayer's dime, and trying to strong-arm the media coming out of a Republican office, Keith Ellison would be out there investigating some somebody, maybe not Keith Ellison. But somebody would be looking to have a word uh, with them. Now, by the way, this is a grave violation of constitutional rights. 
This is a violation of, of First Amendment rights, squeezing out a reporter for doing the reporter's job, not not even pressing too hard on a sensitive story or being an obnoxious reporter. I'd be simply say we're going to keep asking questions because that's what we're here for and we want to understand the, this bill. I mean, yeah, a reporter actually trying to understand a complex story, that's what we're supposed to want, isn't it? Well, the DFL doesn't want that, of course, because they're not aiming for an audience that thinks especially uh, in, in a special depth or uh, seeks all that terribly much information. But kudos to Mr. Callahan for trying. Uh, of course, it's hard not to notice that big media is very much of a couple different minds about constitutional rights and about uh, how far to push for whose constitutional rights. Because I've noticed a pattern. And this is no reflection on Mr. Callahan, who, near as I can tell, is doing all the right things at this point, what a, what a actual journalist should be doing. And, and by the way, the list of news organizations that signed the letter to the, uh, the Minnesota D, uh, D, DFL House uh, listed in the uh, Minnesota Reformer as a coalition of media organizations, including the Reformer and uh, NPR, the Star Tribune, uh, let's see, Axios, Fox 9, CARE 11, the Mankato Free Press, the Minnesota Chamber, the Society of Professional Journalists. Oh, don't get me started on them. Minnesota Public Radio, the MinPost, the Pioneer Press, and the Strib all signed on in this letter, which is fine. Now, ask yourself, would any of these news organizations – Go to bat for your First Amendment rights, for your for your rights as a citizen to stand in the public square, to get up on a on a soapbox bigger than a literal soapbox, and not be squashed by the power of government. I, I've noticed again no reflection on on Mr. Callahan, or really no reflection on this story. But I've noticed that. The only time the media really gripe about the trampling of the First Amendment, it's when it's their First Amendment rights that are in the crosshairs. I remember during the glory days of blogging, when various levels of government were actively talking about censoring blogging, censoring talk radio, bringing back the fairness doctrine. And at best, there was not a word from 99% of the Twin Cities media and those at worst, the ones who did talk said, well, I mean, they're not real reporters. They, they don't actually work for a press organization. Uh, if you're Nick Coleman, you know, they don't know stuff. I know stuff. They don't know stuff. I know stuff. Yeah. They, they're, they're really two-faced about their respect and regard and, and striving for the First uh, Amendment, uh, the, the First Amendment rights. I mean, they'll pay it some lip service for all of us schmucks. But if you dig beneath the surface, a disturbing amount of them want to, for example, bring back the fairness doctrine. In fact, you're starting to see some drumbeat for that coming out of national public radio now. More, maybe more on that in the next segment here. But that's fine. That's neither here nor there. But I do have another question for all of these reporters. Now, again, kudos to Peter Callahan of the Min Post for actually saying, hey, we want to understand this story. This is a complex story. Uh, and we, we want to know more about it. And by the way, uh, the, the letter, I, I should say, went on to say, journalists should not be forced to walk on eggshells for fear they will be removed or arrested by armed guards if they ask a question that someone on your staff believes is rude, 
So the letter, which was written by Alita uh, Walker, a, a attorney specializing in First Amendment rights for Ballard Spar. This is a, a law firm. So, which is fine. I'm totally with that. Uh and, and and they're doing their job, which is a fine thing. It'd be nice if they were a lot more. Well, actually, I, it would be it would be an integrity move. Let's just say if they had a, a little more even handedness in their approach to this whole thing. But I can let all that go. I mean, th- that last part there, it's not even directly related to this story. So let that go. We can save that question for another day. And. The, the the fact that the DFL press office were at a Republican organization would be, I don't know, investigated by state law enforcement potential. I mean, the, the William Davis's threats were, if they had come from Republican, they would have been taken seriously, mark my words. But there's another question. After four years going on five of Tim Waltz, after 13 years of mostly to entire, uh, to complete DFL majorities. There's another question we have to ask here about the Twin Cities media. And again, kudos to Peter Callahan's thoroughness on this story. I've got a few retroactive questions to ask about this. So the Northern Alliance Radio Network, if you have questions or comments, drop us a line on hashtag NarnShow. That's N-A-R-N Show. On Twitter, Gab, Parler, Me, We, or Getter, but not Mastodon. I've given up. No worrying about Mastodon. I think even the liberals have given up on Mastodon. Anyway, we'll be right back with my one more final big question for the Twin Cities media. Go nowhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Twin Cities and World. It's the Northern Alliance Radio Network, AM 12, the Patriot. My name is Mitch Berg. My game, bringing the truth. By the way, it's no secret that America's entered a stifling new phase of woke political correctness, a new cultural orthodoxy created by critical race theory, gender ideology, social justice, radical environmentalism, and casual socialism, among other things, now punishes dissent and silences biblical truth. But these occurrences do not merely affect the culture. They're seeping into evangelical churches and organizations. Discover how the label woke that the false gospel it leads to is undermining biblical truth and threatening the church's proclamation of the gospel in this compelling documentary by D. James Kennedy Ministries. That's uh, How the Left is Stealing Your Church, available on Salem Now. That's SalemNow.com, just like it sounds. Uh, a lot of great stuff out there at Salem Now. Check that out. No subscription needed, by the way. That's the most annoying thing about streaming is having that, that bill coming out every month. You control it. At any rate, uh, so speaking of control, the... Twin Cities media exerting some self-control in pushing back moderately aggressively at a fairly abusive, uh, de- well, an abusive power by a DFL or Rat, Ma- Rat Mazanowski. No, I'm sorry. That's a low blow. Uh, Matt Rosnowski, who is the latest in a long series of, I, I think it's fair and accurate to call them bottom-feeding communications hacks. Uh, for the DFL. And and people say, hey, both sides do it. I've, I've known a lot of Republican communications people, and I've never known one of them to cut ethical corners quite like William Davis, Matt Rosanowski, and quite a few others in, in that office as well. Not all of them, but a disturbing number. I mean, to the point where if I were a chair of the DFL and I gave a rat's patoot about ethics – 
I might have a word with people, but I'm not Ken Martin, and Ken Martin is not that guy. At any rate, that being said, I've got a question for the Twin Cities media. Now, let's go back. Let's go back to – we don't even need to go all the way back to the beginning of the Tim Waltz administration. I'm sorry, the Waltz-Flanagan administration because there's no way around the fact that, that Peggy Flanagan is the co-governor. But let's, let's just even go back three years here now uh, to the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, we, we had all sorts of problems with the way Tim Waltz governed before that. But really, before the pandemic, I mean, hard to even remember what happened before the series of usurpations and abuses that uh, were marked by the pandemic started happening three years ago last month. Uh, for starters, there was the Minnesota Department of Health model that predicted 70,000 deaths in Minnesota by mid-July, or if everything broke the right way, best case, according to the governor, 20,000 dead Minnesotans. Now, the number was off a little bit. It was more like, I think, 2,000, off by a solid order of magnitude. And by the way, not discounting the deaths that happened, including some people I know who were known to me. And that's, it's a, it's a tragedy. It's a terrible tragedy. And, and I will give the governor, uh, retroactively a, uh, a, a little pass, a, a, a slight pass on the first two months of that activity. It's just nobody knew that this wasn't going to be the bubonic plague. I mean, we, most of us had some hints. This was not the bubonic plague or the 1918 flu. Most of us had some idea this was going to be a particularly bad strain of respiratory infection, like the flu, like the cold, like uh, the croup, whatever. I mean, whooping cough. Uh, and again, not making light of anything. Over a million people in America have died. Of COVID. It's had a huge impact, especially on the less mentally stable among us. But that pass that I give the governor end, ends, ended, ended stone cold on May 11th, 2020, when the administration's healthcare economist, a fellow whose name eludes me at this point, uh, was asked by someone in the media, so when are you going to reveal the code for this model that predicted tens of thousands of dead. And this official, who, let's not kid ourselves, this employee of the executive branch who answers to Governor Waltz, said, oh, we don't want to release that because people might use it to get different results than we got. Which is the opposite of science. If you're doing actual science, if you took seventh grade biology, you know, if you're doing actual science, it's incumbent on you, the scientists, to, you know, show your work. They didn't do that. The media didn't raise a stink about that. Or his sitting on the model and essentially stonewalling and releasing eventually in his own good time or his administration's own good time, a improved, new improved version of the model, which made slightly more accurate predictions, but wasn't alarming people in uh, around St. Patrick's Day of 2020. No questions after May 11th were ever asked about this, few if any, or about Governor Waltz holding on to emergency power for a solid year, a year and a half after any rational state of emergency was actually over, especially 
given the ramifications of that state of emergency on the elections of 2022 and 2020, for that matter. Uh, the, the, the emergency power that the governor claimed slopped over into things that had nothing to do with the COVID emergency. Uh, voter laws? I, I mean, basically dropping all protection. Actually, not all protection, but plausibly opening up huge gaps in whatever protection our system has against election fraud. How many questions did you hear people in the media asking about that? Let's not even start about the right. No, let's start about the riots. How many people in the media asked why Governor Walt spent the first two days of the wall of the riots basically hiding under his bed? Uh, what Julie Nelson at Care Eleven was one of very, very few. And and honestly, I you could have knocked me over with a pin when I heard that an actual Twin Cities reporter actually impudently uh, wondering what had happened with the governor and where was the plan. Uh, by the way, his, he's playing bureaucratic patty cake with the, with the National Guard, saying, oh, you've got to fill out of that TPS report and have that on the top of the facts uh, before we'll talk about sending the guard to you. I mean, essentially, that's what he did, stonewalling for three days and, and then sending a token number. They got walked over in Minneapolis on the third or fourth day of the riots. Where are the media questions about that? And where were they during the 2020 election and the 2022 election? For that matter, where were the questions about crime in the Twin Cities? Yes, it's a Twin Cities jurisdiction, but it's the governor's party that controls those cities. And the governor has a bully pulpit, unlike every other one in the state, when it comes to trying to mobilize action on the part of lower orders of government. He didn't do anything. He let it sit. He let it fester, arguably because it's in his party's interest to do so. But where were the questions? Where were the questions from the Twin Cities media? Where were the questions from the Twin Cities media when a group of protesters walked onto Capitol grounds and in full view of the state patrol pulled down a statue of Christopher Columbus uh, outflanking the, uh, the the bureaucratic process for changing the architecture of the Capitol, uh, Capitol grounds, and at which point this activist was, quote, sentenced, end quote, to go out and teach school kids how evil Christopher Columbus was. Uh, it's like sentencing a drunk driver to happy hour. Where were the media questions about that? And, and I mean, a simple question would be if a Republican group had pulled down a statue of one of the Scandinavian socialists of 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 uh, of uh, Olson, the the socialist from the twenties, pulled that statue over for having been a, a glorified uh, communist. Anybody think we'd have been sentenced to going out and teaching school kids about the evils of Marxism? I think not. Where where was the media? in digging into the Feeding Our Future scandal, the, the daycare money scandal, to, to Ilhan Omar marrying her brother. We had to rely on British media and people like Scott Johnson and David Steinberg to cover that story. And they were the only ones. Feeding Our Future? That's Bill Glahn's story. Nobody in the Twin Cities media will cover that until they get cover, I'm fairly convinced, from the DFL. How about during the election when the DFL ran on this idea that Scott Judson will ban abortion? 
when it's civics 101 that the governor can't change the Constitution, has no direct role in changing the Constitution whatsoever. None. Did the media mention that? Did the media ask, hey, uh, Reporter X from Paper Y here, uh, why are you telling people something that's complete procedural gibberish? Because it's not in their interest. How about the $17 billion surplus that the, the, the DFL has been bragging about since state fair time? I mean, you don't need to even dig in all that far to see that it's almost all one-time money. The surplus is going to go away and that we're going to be left with a huge deficit. You can count on one hand the number of reporters who even bothered to poke their nose out in the open on this question and get several fingers and change back. And nobody's going to make it stick. And by the way, the DFL finally came out this past week. He said, yeah, this surplus is really all one-time money, which, by the way, is what we conservatives in the media have been telling you since August. And what an actual media that was focused on keeping politicians accountable would have been asking then. How about the beach house? $17,000 a month. It's going to wind up costing close to a half a million dollars to put up the governor, his wife, their son, and probably part-time their daughter. This is at a time when, when the economy is turning towards recession. We are putting the governor up in the most, one of the most luxurious homes in Minnesota for 17 grand a month, 10 times what a typical Minnesotan pays for rent on a fairly nice place. On story after story after story, all the ones I just listed and many that I probably didn't manage to get to the front of my mind, the media lets the governor go, I should say the co-governors go, but sends a camera crew to watch him eat donuts at a bakery up in Grand Marais or go to Rectangle Pizza in Uptown uh, where they take a bunch of goofy photos looking like they're like they're taking selfies on a family vacation. Which, by the way, is the entire DFL communication strategy at this point. Avoid press conferences. Avoid having questions answered. Avoid debates. They, they did no re- – the only debate they did was on a, a, a tiny little TV station in Rochester that nobody watched. They, their strategy is to stay under the radar, never say anything substantial in public that can be, call, that can be count, uh, called on, to count on the Twin Cities media to not challenge them all that hard on it. And to run endless puff pieces and feel-good photos and yapping about one Minnesota – Now, call me a dreamer, but I think it would be great if the state had an institution with, I don't know, uh, say, printing presses and transmitters and staffed by a a monastic order of high priests of information, self-styled, but still, nonetheless, people see it as their job to report on the affairs of state fairly, accurately, completely, and without overt partisan bias. Ha, but I'm a dreamer. Northern Alliance Radio Network. Go nowhere. We'll be right back. Because anything. 
Welcome back, Twin Cities and World Northern Alliance Radio Network. Hey, don't forget my band, Elephant in the Room. Uh, not a weekend off tonight. Actually, uh, heading out uh, right after us to go out to Spicer, Minnesota, to play at the American Legion in Spicer. If you're out in southwest uh, southwest Twin Cities, say the far, 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 far southwest suburbs like Spicer, Wilmer, New London, uh, come out and check us out tonight. Uh, we have a couple. We have uh, next weekend off. But the following weekend, we actually have two gigs coming up. It's going to be a big weekend if you're a fan anywhere in the south or southwest suburbs. Uh, the final weekend in April. We'll talk about that next week. So, uh, 651-289-4488, normally the number to call. Give us a holler. Uh, then in there, Brad Carlson coming up tomorrow from 1 to 3. Jack Tomzak at 3 o'clock today. So, we haven't talked a lot about the Nashville shooting. Uh, we, t- we talked a bit about it last week. And don't have much more to say about it, except, of course, that Kamala Harris has inevitably uh, confirmed conservative stereotypes in just the most – in a way that the Babylon Bee uh, almost could not come up with uh, with better parody than this. I mean, we've often said, you know, those of us on the right who follow this stuff and actually think critically, that the, the Democrats – the left, I should say, not Democrats, but the left – have an incredible blind spot when it comes to justice. For example, you you did hear uh, people dec- uh, condemning the uh, the attack on the uh, House uh, the House Republican softball team several years ago by a Bernie Sanders supporter. Uh, but you had a, a fair amount say, "Yeah, should have finished the job." Uh, and I we we joke sometimes not really it's not a joke really so much as an ironic statement that the left would probably go out of its way to defend a democrat mass shooter if the the target was right uh and by the way would never find fault in a uh, it, it would never find fault in a democrat mass shooter or any virtue in someone they didn't identify as a democrat of course we saw that with the Kyle Rittenhouse case last year uh, when he was acquitted, but you still have a massive of leftist droogs saying eh, he was, he was, he's still a murderer, uh, or the dumber one, yeah, almost as dumb but less literate is. Oh, that being acquitted doesn't mean he's innocent, which is not true. One of the elements of a self-defense claim is, in fact, proving your innocence in as many words, uh, proving that you're the innocent party in the exchange. So yeah, he was actually proven innocent uh, at trial. Uh, Kamala Harris, of course, this past week went to Nashville not to uh, comfort the families of the slain uh, from the Christian school, but the three legislators who were ejected briefly for violating the rules of order and leading an insurrection against the rules of the Tennessee House of Representatives and uh, also uh, the, uh, participating in Big Left's hagiography of the transgender male shooter, the girl who shot the place up. Uh, so this is becoming all too close to the parody we have. Uh, of, and, and by the way, uh, on the opposite uh, coin, we pointed out how uh, the, the left still has crosshairs, figuratively speaking, on Kyle Rittenhouse. Similar uh, crowd whinging right now uh, that a, a white guy just convicted of murdering a BLM, uh, quote, protester, uh, getting pardoned by Governor Abbott. By the way, he's pro- uh, he's prosecuted by a Soros prosecutor in Austin, Texas, which isn't in and of itself a problem. I mean, it is, but to, to democracy, as long as they follow the, the facts of the law, there's a problem right there. Another much smarter crowd is reminding the world, uh, the protester was being mostly peaceful <laughs> by pointing an AK-47 at uh, Daniel Perry. 
now, I don't know all the specifics. I'm going to guess the main factor in Perry's conviction in Austin at the hands of a Soros prosecutor, of course, apparently happened not because of what he did during the incident, because, but because of what he said before things got uh, kinetic. Uh, this is a quote from, uh, I believe, the, uh, the Austin paper. Perry's defense team argued that he acted in self-defense, but prosecutors contended that Perry instigated what happened. They highlighted a series of social media posts and Facebook messages in which Perry made statements that they said indicated a state of mind such as he might, quote, kill, end quote, a few people on his way to work. Uh-oh, Peggy Flanagan might be in trouble. Uh, they are riding outside my apartment complex. Now, I don't know the details. But the fact remains a zealous prosecutor can use such statements to impeach your unwilling participant status, or shall we say the innocence that you have to prove in a self-defense case. By the way, it looks very similar to the case in North Minneapolis seven years ago when a guy shot at people chasing him outside the 4th Precinct, and he was largely put in jail because of videos he'd put up on YouTube talking about all the the mayhem he wanted to create. Uh, So it really brings up something I'm about ready to enshrine as a Berg's law. I'm going to call it Berg's law, I think 28th law of self-defense. The first rule of armed self-defense is you never, ever, 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 ever talk about self-defense. I mean, don't, I'm putting this out there because I have a hunch, probably disproportionate share of my audience probably partakes of firearms for self-defense. Not me. All of mine fell in the lake and, and they terrify me. I would never use a gun. But don't joke about it with your friends. Don't especially brag about it on social media. Don't have angry outbursts about protesters or rioters uh, because all everything you say and do on social media is admissible as evidence. Keep it like your firearms hidden under the perver- proverbial bushel basket. Like I would be if all of my firearms hadn't fallen into Malax. Uh, again, they terrify me. I would never use uh, one ever for any reason whatsoever. That's just me. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking about the Malays facing our society. If, our, if, if you're of a certain age, you may remember the Malays of the Carter years, uh, basically emblematized by the Malays speech. And... I I remain optimistic about America, but boy, the the situation we have right now makes the malaise of the 1970s uh, look like a bad episode of Soul Train. That and much more when we come back on the Northern Alliance Radio Network, AM 1280 The Patriot. Go nowhere. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. 
Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.